Hello everyone, welcome to the Emerging Pod, where we get emerging people into emerging careers. Today's guest is Yasin Madid. Yasin is the CEO of Axia, and he also runs his own blog where he shares his experience navigating the field of data science and machine learning. I actually first came across you through one of your blog posts where you told the story of how Axia was built from a hackathon into a full-blown startup. Welcome, Yasin. Good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? When did you first hear about data science? How did you get into it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, my background is a bit uh, unusual for the, the, the field I'm at. I actually have a background in computational neuroscience, and I studied at uh, university uh, like anatomy and cell biology. So I was volunteering into research lab, uh, doing all kind of like um, uh, very interesting experiment um, um, in a different level of uh, of, uh, uh, of scope of, uh, of the brain. So I was uh, in a psychiatry lab doing like a memory exper experiment um, with schizophrenic people. And then I, I did um, uh, some computational neuroscience uh, stuff studying consciousness. But on all these levels, when you're studying the brain, what happened is that you have no choice but to uh, learn how to interpret the data because it's, uh, um, it's highly dimensional. Uh, it's not just like, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a very simple time series and stuff. There's, it's so complex that there's, there's many way of, uh, grinding through the data to get to your insight. Um, so during my curriculum, I had to learn, um, just because I needed to, to get to that, like, get to that outcome for this experiment, how to do that computationally. Otherwise it would have made no sense to do it by hand and stuff like that. Um, so I got heavily into computer science uh, at first, um, absolutely loved it, loved uh, how I could uh, see directly the impact in the research I was doing. And from there on, I was, it's just like a, a, a direct transition because as soon as you're doing a bit of data science, um, you're, you're, you're able to understand that, uh, oh, if I want to predict X, well, cool, you can use machine learning and stuff. So I got into machine learning, deep learning. Um, while studying the brain. So that's a bit the story of how I got into uh, data science. I, I got you lured into that uh, field. <laughs> that's awesome. I suppose what elicited your curiosity about the brain. Yeah, it's such a fascinating, uh, um, organ. Like the, the very first spark I got was, um, I was into cells before, so it's a bit more, <laughs> uh, general <laughs> cells are, are fantastic. It's like a world in and of itself. Uh, so I was studying like all of the different apparatus within the cells, how they behave and stuff. But every time we got into like the neurons, it was absolutely insane. Like these things are like, a um, had said like the, uh, it, it's one of the, the, the most wonderful machinery that you can, you can have, like uh, the way they work, the way they generate current, the complexity that one neuron has, uh, so for instance, like a, a very interesting thing is like a biological neuron can actually learn the XOR function, which an artificial neuron cannot, right? Hmm. Um, so these things are almost doing like some kind of quantum computing and stuff. Like they, they're so complex with like their ion channel that are in them, uh, all of the diversity of neurons that you can have. So while I was studying um, anatomy and cell biology and I, I, and I saw that and I saw how complex this thing was, uh, I was hooked. Um, and that time I was heavily into like, um, like learning as a meta kind of a uh, subject. Uh, so uh, I wasn't too learning stuff. how to learn. 
learning how to learn. They took that yeah. course, man, and that, that, that was great. <laughs> and uh, uh, then I, I, I got a bit more into like neuroplasticity. Um, I got a bit more about like how you can um, learn, uh, uh, learn better. This is why I was doing like all of these experiments on memory. I was very fascinated by it. But then I was doing a bit like experiment with myself and my curriculum in the uh, university also. Like uh, I did some weird stuff, like uh, taking courses without any prerequisite. I don't know if you're familiar a bit with ultra, ultra learning, uh, but it's kind of this, this uh, method of learning where you just kind of land something uh, some, on, on some subject and then you just figure it out. So the guy that like started this thing, he was like catapulting himself into like a random country and just like in six months trying to learn like as much as possible in language and stuff. So I was kind of doing awesome. this at the, at university. It was rough. Like it took like a computer science class, like a, some last year computer science class, absolutely no background whatsoever. I was learning about OS, uh, before taking like the basic data structure class. Um, so it was very hardcore, but the thing was, it was so intense for me. Uh, and stimulating because I, you have to figure it out, right? You have to, you have no choice. You just sign up for this. It's past the deadline to, to, uh, to drop <laughs> out. You get to maintain that GPA. So, um, you just have to figure your way out and it's amazing how much you can actually figure it out. And this is why also I was so interested into like research lab because I was doing this on top of that is that no one knows, like when you're doing a research experiment, usually. Like you're the most knowledgeable dude, um, like your PI can help you out a bit, but like, you're the one doing all the reading and then doing the tests and stuff. Um, so uh, it's the kind of same feeling where you're like, there's no one coming really to help you out. Like you have to figure it out and you have to actually do the work and read whatever you have to read and learn whatever you have to learn to get to the outcome. So that's kind of what got me interested in this whole brain thing. And I'm still, um, involved in this, uh, in this field and, uh, I think it's like a passion of mine. Super similar to running a company. I'm literally about to say that. It's like, oh, it sounds like a, <laughs> running a startup. Yeah. That's the next level. Like the startup, like on top of this, you have to like figure, figure how to get, get funding, make sure that like you're building something valuable. So for your customers that you're creating like an environment where you can actually get employees to work in. And that you can attain the objective. And I think it's also what attra uh, like attracted me. And that was the logical kind of trajectory because building a company is, it, it might sound weird, but it's kind of like you're trying to evolve like an organism. Because if you think about it, whatever you're building is not in a vacuum. It's looking around this environment. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to make uh, something like uh, this organism and you have to make it of a certain shape in order to fit in whatever like micro environment it is and to be able to capture some value into the environment while not completely destroying it and making so that there's kind of a feedback loop where you're thinking grow. That's kind of how I, I, I seen it. And I got this, this like simmered in my mind because we, I started my company when, the, when the pandemic hit and we had this long discussion about like, Hey, should we do like a a remote company or like just stay in the office or like just wait it out and stuff. And I was like, like a, a, a pandemic can last a while. Right. And like this thing can, can literally like be there for like the yep. next five years. Um, so I, I don't know when we're going to get back to the office and stuff. So if I was to make an organism in this current environment, how would it look like? And the answer was easy. It's like, it has to be remote. Um, for our stuff, it would work. 
I know that there's other companies like GitLab that does it. So I know that a bigger organism exists that is extracting value from its environment and it is very, very well suited. Um, so this is always how I, I, I was seeing, uh, uh, seeing, uh, building a company. It's really like, a, at the, at the, uh, uh, anatomy and cell biology level. There's a great book actually on this, uh, called, uh, Organiz organizational physics. Um, and it's kind of also like, uh, I didn't, I didn't know about it, but, uh, it has the same kind of a biological and physical view of, uh, of building a company. I really like the, I think I really like the analogy of a cell and, and an organism. And yes, like as a company, you, you essentially, you have this thing in your head of what you think the company should do or the problem that you're trying to solve, but you then have to adapt to your environment and, and create that kind of symbiotic relationship so, so that you, you can grow. I was going to ask actually that at what stage during your research period did the, the company come about where you was at a point yeah. where you were looking for a different challenge or absolutely not i was <laughs> i was not like doing that so basically i was tracking along in my in my phd i was i was doing all of these like really cool experiments um all related in some ways to consciousness um and then my brother actually needed a job <laughs> so <laughs> he, he needed a job and the, the story is that um, he thought that doing a hackathon would be a good way of, of like getting in front of recruiter and stuff. And I was like, cool, yeah, let's do that. Like I can help you out with like some data science stuff so that like our things look even more cool. And then you can get that job. So we're doing these hackathon and I was doing just purely for the fun of it and to help him out. And uh, we kept winning a bunch of them, uh, but like not winning, like we were first place and stuff. We kept winning by uh, by going into the next logical hackathon. So I was getting more involved into like bigger and bigger competition like this. Um, and uh, yeah, at some point we we got into a big one. It was called uh, Aqua Hacking back in the in the days. And you can get like 25k at the end of the, of the stuff, and then fast track into an incubator and things like that. But then like, I was just doing this purely for helping him land a job. And at some point he wasn't able to get it while doing the hackathon. He kind of got bored of the stuff, uh, but we were in the final of this like big hackathon and our, our face was everywhere. So he dropped out. There was another person that, uh, that dropped out and, uh, I was kind of like, um, um, left a bit alone with the, my other partner, which we started the company uh, that we are at right now. And uh, I absolutely hate just giving up when I already committed to something. Worst case, like I'm going to fail. I'm all good with this, but giving up, at, it's like you're, you're in a race and then you just like stop and go home. Right. While everybody's trying to cheer you up and stuff. Uh, I was like, I'll, f I'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure this thing out. So I figured it out and I thought to myself, like, let's get to this final, let's do our presentation, show our app. I didn't know how to code an app, but we coded that. Um, and then call it today, uh, while doing my PhD. And then we got into this thing and we got fourth place. And I was like, thank God, this is it, that we're done, <laughs> we're done here. But actually when you get to fourth place, you get $0, but you get fast track into like an incubator. So then I learned about what an incubator was. So I got into Santec with my other partner and uh, yeah, I was kind of committed into the process and this incubator, it was really hard to get into and I got the place there. And I was like, man, um, 
Uh, my other partner was really interested into like this startup thing. It was kind of his calling in some way. If you figure it out that this is what's the thing that he wanted to do. So I was like, okay, let's, let's just do that thing, next other thing. And then we'll, we'll be done with it. But like long story short, we merged with another team. Then we built a company and then, uh, uh, I was always trying to like optimize and then figuring out how we can like make it work. Um, and, uh, by accident, I've kind of founded the company and, uh, got to 25 people, um, and, uh, like 5 million in, the, in financing and stuff. Uh, but at some point during this time, like when we actually incorporated and I saw how, how similar it was to research, but with much more degrees of freedom that I had, I could do whatever I want. It was no grants where I had to write no like paper review that I had to like figure how to write, make it right. So that the other person will review it favorably so I can get it in, into that. So I can get my other grant and like, there was none of this. It was like pure, pure, like trying to make it work and you decide how, what you want to build and how do you want to make it work? Um, so this thing was, uh, was a pure joy for me to be able to like creatively do that thing. And I was like in the flow every day doing that stuff. So I was doing this at the same time as my PhD, but at some point I was like, there's, there's no way I can, I can support my company and do a PG at the same time at the stage where and we're like uh, 20 people about to get our fundraising. Um, so I decided to drop out and uh, to pursue uh, this. And I was starting to get it burned out because no way you can do both properly. Um, yeah. So I had only like a year left uh, almost uh, in my PhD, but uh, I decided to, to grab that out. <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun, honestly. Like, uh, I did like, se uh, I, I have seven papers, uh, different uh, research articles. I was involved in like cutting edge uh, research. So there's no regret on my part on this. Like I actually didn't care that much about the PhD. What I cared about was like doing cool research in this field and learning more about it. And I was starting to kind of hit the ceiling with all the other stuff I had to do. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the, the, the short story. <laughs> How did the idea come about for Axia and yeah, uh, what's the problem that you're trying to solve with the company? Did it come out of the incubator or the, the hackathon? Good question. Yeah. So the, the problem we're, um, uh, we're trying, we were solving at Axia is that uh, right now in the manufacturing sector, um, when you're trying to get your, like your, your whatever you're trying to source, it's a real mess. Like, uh, everything is done via email, Excel spreadsheet, and there's a lot of problem in between like the buyer and the suppliers, and there's problem on both sides. Um, it's really not lean. It's really not, uh, um, it's very wasteful and it's creating a lot of problem down the line. And when you think about the manufacturing plant, you're thinking about like six Sigma lean manufacturing, like they're doing like some cutting edge, like parts and stuff. When they get to actually outsource and get the part they need to do whatever assembly they have to, to do, it's, it's email and Excel spreadsheet. Um, so a lot of pain over there. And I had no idea about this, like, honestly, like, uh, coming from computational neuroscience. Um, but, um, when we got into the incubator, uh, we had another idea. We had an idea about like, um, like data, data cleaning and stuff. Um, but we've realized that with another team over there, um, they talked to a lot of clients and in this industry and, uh, there was a real big problem to solve over there. And they were, um, they were more on the manufacturing side. So they were seeing that, 
And my partner actually worked at Bombardier. So he got the insight on the buyer side and he was like, Hey, I was the one doing this stuff. Uh, and it sucked. So we kind of, uh, stitch up both, both hand and then we were like, okay, but like this can be solved. And I seen it. I was like, yes, it's in manufacturing sector. Yes. It's like parts and stuff, but it's essentially a, an information problem. You're we're, like the information is not going well from one side to the others. And like the best thing that this, they, they found was email and Excel spreadsheet, even though that they have like an ERP or Ariba and what, whatnot, it's still not well fitted for the back and forth that they have to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, it kind of would be like, uh, trying to, how to say it, like, a um, collaborate on a software project, purely via fax or something like that, or, <laughs> you know, it will suck, right? Everybody will be like an, an immense amount of, uh, of, uh, of issues and stuff. It, it looked dumb, but it's kind of like this because it's very complex. You're, you have this part that needs to get manufactured, but it's the engineer that did it and stuff. And then the manufacturer, they know best how to do this part. And then you have m- multiple of them, maybe in the same like package that you have to, to source. People will have questions. There's like all of these issues, like of raw material, of shipping and stuff. So there's also geolocalization issues. There's like, is, does the suppliers have their material? Do they need to build the inventory? Are you going to provide their material? If yes, are you going to do the shipping? It's so complex. It's ca- almost as complex as like a closing a software project for some of them. Um, so, uh, I saw that like, if you, if we're just structuring this better and like making sure that we like both sides can have the tool they need to express their idea, like almost in a click. And then you can just follow the whole thing. Uh, we can have an immense amount of value and whatever we're going to build on in this, it will just create like a, a loop where the buyer, the buyer sees value, the supplier sees value. We get more buyer, we get more suppliers. Everybody's happy. And then our organism that we're building is growing so we can support more customers. So we're making something of value. Um, so we did that, uh, we, we, we did that thing and, uh, um, uh, I was not expecting the, the, um, the amount of success uh, that we had, I know it was a big problem, but then the pandemic hit and the supply chain problem just accelerated. So we were right on time. Like when we founded this was 2019 and then at the end, by the end of the year, the pandemic started. Um, and then everything was shut down in the manufacturing sector. People were scrambling around. Um, so it was the perfect, like environment for us to kind of make our solution get adopted. Um, and then we got some, some big player like, um, uh, like Airbus, uh, Rio Tinto, um, BRP, um, G aviation, all of these big guys like decided to, to go into and all of the suppliers that are working with them and that are working with us, they, they found value into the, the, how we provided this stuff. Um, so it, it was cool. This, this is kind of how we got, um, the idea got started and uh, we had to ditch our initial idea, my, my friend and I. But it's kind of an idea that kind of build up via Akaton, yeah. which is not necessarily connected to the customer. When we saw that and we saw like our more data driven background and they're kind of literally on the shop floor, a level of insight, we know, we knew that there was something here that, that could have a massive amount of impact. What was the previous idea that you had to give up on? The previous idea was kind of forced into us uh, through the Akaton and I was like, yeah, this is cool. Because like a, the Akaton was like a water focused. It was like a, with about the, the, the freshwater issues that uh, there is. There's a lot of them, honestly. And I have a background in swimming. So I, I used to swim a lot and I swim in open water 
ever met. I was swimming in this body of waters that we were studying and we're trying to solve problems. And one of the problems that we selected was, uh, it's a kind of a boring one, but it's a super important one. It's the raw sewage overflow problem. Um, so what happened is that you, you may not know that, but uh, every city, uh, like a sewage system, um, is not a hundred percent good. Like, uh, especially like in an environment where there's snow and stuff, because then the level of water kind of varies a lot. And when all of the snow, the water that is frozen accumulate and then just uh, thaw at the same time, like the sewage system can't handle that for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, so you get a lot of raw sewage in the actual body of water around the city. And I was absolutely flabbergasted by the, how long it was lasting, especially like in, in Montreal, this was one of the city that we did an algorithm to kind of predict when it was happening and, and where, because we get all of the data from the government. So we built that, we built a simple random forest algorithm that we've trained on that, but it was, it was really good at the detecting like which, which exactly, uh, which one will, will uh, be problematic when, depending on various like uh, uh, environmental uh, parameter. And the idea that, that was kind of thematic and I was, I was like, we solved the problem. That's it. We're done. But then you have to sell it, right? To, and who's you going to sell it to? And we were like, hey, we're going to sell it to municipality. But then municipality don't care about that much because what are they Kind of like, you're, you're showing me a problem that I'm kind of aware about. What do you want me to do about it? Like, uh, uh, there, we got into a stalemate here because we're like, Hey, we, we gotta, we get more visibility for you. You can give this to your citizen and stuff. They were like, why would I ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of, that, that, that kind of killed the idea, but we, we solved the issue ish. Um, but like, if you look at the actual problem, which is the raw sewage. Um, it's much more complex. And, uh, um, uh, at this point we were like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that would, that would be one way of going about it. So we pivoted and we pivoted into like kind of a data cleaning, um, um, kind of software company ish. That's kind of the idea we had because we're like, we only like the government had this information, but we had to do so much cleaning in order to get it into shape in order to gather this insight that we're like. Hey, we could do this at scale and then just clean all of these data and then we can get generate so much value. But all of the data are like um, dirty in a different ways. So you're basically a, not a software company, you're more of like a service, um, a service company. Yeah. And um, we're not like um, data cleaning sucks if you're in data science. So <laughs> you, you, you already know about it. Like just clean data is like the worst part of the stuff. It's the most important one, but it's the worst one. We're not especially passionate about this. And we knew that it would be like kind of a slog to like build a company around this because of how each of the, the, the different landscape in the environment was so different. Um, so this is when we kind of, uh, met with this other team, which was at the, at the, uh, the Soundtech incubator. And they were also struggling, but the, they were struggling at a technological level. And I helped them out at some point and I was like, guys, you're just trying to build a crude app website. Like it's like the most basic thing that you're, you're going to do like at, at the start. This is what you need to do. Create, uh, uh, create, read, update and delete. That's all you need, right? You don't need any like AI stuff or anything about this. It will come when you're going to be able to collect data, but don't complexify this. So I had the map, but at some point we're like, Hey, it, we're working well together. Um, and, uh, uh, like, uh, 
that this company will be able to generate, uh, this idea will be able to generate a massive amount of data, which we can then leverage afterward. So that was the thing that really interested me was like, if we can get all of this information, the amount of value per customer that we can give will be amazing. Like the, all of this thing that they were sending via email and then noting an Excel spreadsheet, it was purely lost. They were not leveraging it afterward. Um, mm -hmm. so I saw that I was like, this is, this could be like huge. Um, and so, uh, we've, we've merged two teams and there we go, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of pivot until we got to that point. <laughs> well, that's nice. That's, that's exciting. Actually, that's, I guess the, the pivot is the life of the startup. So for us, actually the pandemic was very different and the supply chain crunch actually made us pivot away from our previous idea because we were relying a lot on hardware. And it, it got yeah. to a point where it was very difficult to access. Um, but nice. We I couldn't nice. use Axia. <laughs> <laughs> Could I have I guess, with this one? <laughs> that's true. That's true. So I guess as a cell, you, you guys have adapted well to your environment and you've adopted other cells to, to turn into a new idea. So in the process, um, you've had to build a team to be able to deliver that and like you said, for, for you guys, it was a data, a longer term, medium, long-term data play. How did you go about building the data team or the data side of the company? How did you structure it? When you're starting with, with a company like this, you have to be very careful to not put too much biases, especially in a, in a, in a, how to say it, in a field where the status quo is kind of like the most threatening aspect, because what it means here is that no one found uh, a shape that fit the issue, right? Um, if you're trying to mimic, let's say Ariba, and then you go about it and you mimic it a bit, and then you try to sell it like there, some of these customers, some of the customers that we have already have this software and it's not fit for this issue. Um, and if you're trying to mimic other type of software, it will be a bit difficult. So you have to iterate quite fast and figure out the shape that is more aligned with the problem that can solve this, this part. Um, so actually at the beginning, like, um, I've put the data into the back burner. I was the one like thinking about this, but I was like, guys, we're not doing any of this until we get a significant amount of data. Um, so, uh, I was the one like creating the first prototype of the apps. Um, and it was, they were made to be like thrown away. I, they were made to test something out and then, uh, check if we can get the generic value. And we did better than this. We actually sold the idea of the apps that I know we could build before we were, we released them. Uh, so that thing, that was one of the main reasons we got so much success because my three other co-founder, they weren't on the road, they met with clients and then they sold the thing. And then they were like, yeah, we're building this it will cost that much. Um, are you in or are you not? And then we, when we got enough amount of checks for me, it was like, Hey, there's a validation in the environment that this thing would work. So let's actually build that so that we can get feedback from like the environment in order to make the software even better so that we can sell it better. And then we did that too, kind of forever. That's kind of how we went about it. And as I was building this, at some point I was like, I'm the bottleneck, so I need to hire. And then I hired a bunch of interns at first because it was still kind of too, too malleable. So I relied, relied on junior people and just so that we can get something up and running, even if it like was buggy and stuff, it didn't matter too much. Um, and as soon as I found a shape that was like, um, 
extremely well suited for, for the problem set that we, we had. This is where I was looking more at like, um, getting like a software architect, uh, with experience to take my role as a CTO, because I was a CTO at first. So I found, I found this guy, I, I was able to poach him from, um, Ubisoft before he got into Shopify. Um, so I made him CTO and was like, Hey, you get it here. Let's, let's work together. It's going to be fun. And then I got in and he was able to structure this thing even, even better than I could ever, ever do it. And then I was more involved into like the, the data aspect because you made like, uh, we were starting to collect a lot of data and I was able to do this feedback loop with him. Um, and this is where I got more into a COO role where I was, uh, kind of coordinating with like that aspect with the sales and marketing aspect, uh, and ensuring that all of these shapes could uh, lead to whatever objective we're trying to hit. Um, kind of how, uh, we got into building that team is like, um, I didn't hire first this guy because I didn't know um, if we were doing an ERP plugin or like a mobile app or whatever it is, you have to be careful at first. Like, so you, you much better at first to just kind of figure out how to do it. Right. Even a bit crappily, it doesn't matter, but you have to learn fast. But then as soon as you're doing it and you're becoming the bottleneck in something where there's value, this is where you have to offload yourself. So at some point I hired a bunch of people, but I was like, I can't teach them more, um, and make them grow better, uh, with my current knowledge, I will have to learn and then give, give that. So I much rather, um, hire someone which already have a massive amount of knowledge so that it can help this team grow. And now this, this apparatus is growing kind of, um, past what I could, I could ever uh, give them. Yeah. That's kind of how I, I always view, uh, like uh, team building, like, uh, if you're a, a founder and whatever you're building is uh, tightly related to the overall shape of the company, right? And, uh, like in a kind of dramatic fashion, you have to do it yourself, um, up to a point where you become the bottleneck for, for something, even the sales, we're doing it ourselves and uh, we learned about it and we do it. And then we're able to like show the vision and stuff and sell kind of at a decent level. But at some point when you you pass a certain point, you're like, okay, cool. I can teach someone to do that. And they could, uh, they could do it. And then you hire someone and at some point you're like, Hey, I can have someone that is able to teach other people to do it. And the problem will be better. And then you do that. That's the movement that would, uh, I would encourage people to do, uh, when they're trying to build a, a team. That's so true. That's such a good point that it's as a founder, you need to learn how to do things yourself first before you, because that's what you have. You have your own time as a resource and that's mostly it usually. Um, so it's, it's better for you to kind of figure out how do you sell the product? How do you build the first version of it? And then once you see that you have some traction, surround yourself with people that could do it much better than you could to, to really accelerate, but you need to be able to do it first, just so you can spot who would actually be able to do it well, because otherwise anyone can come in yeah. and tell you that they're going to do it better and you wouldn't know how to discern. You have to do that. But, but also use that feedback directly to change how the company is, um, is heading towards, right. Or what shape it's heading toward, because that's a, the thing that like, uh, if you were to start a company and hire like a top-notch head of sales, top-notch head of marketing, top-notch CTO, um, and you're the founders and stuff and you're like, Hey, we're going there. And then like, it doesn't mean it will work well. It, it absolutely doesn't mean it will work well because maybe you're heading in a completely different direction. 
And then you have all of these competent people trying to do everything they can to go there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they, 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 they might give you some input, but they will try their hardest first. So it's kind of slowing down learning to get there. But maybe it's like the wrong direction, absolutely the wrong one. And you should not try to do this, right? Um, and then you try, you learn it too late. You have to pivot to something else. All the work is now kind of wasted and they're like, Hey, shit, man. Okay. Let's do it again. And then you do it again, but there's going to be a hundred of pivots until you, you find the shape, right? So you have to be very careful at first and you, you have to take it in front of yourself and kind of tap yourself straight into where the information is coming in. And then you like, you, you get that and you're able to do like a kind of 10 pivot a week, right? But then as you do these pivot, some segments of your company kind of stay uniform and you're like, fantastic. This one, like, I don't have to think about it now. I can get someone to think about it and they will be able to, to have it stabilized. I know that it's this other part that I need to, to, uh, to, to research and, uh, and, uh, and figure it out. And then you do that and you have more time now to learn and to do that thing properly. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of much better to do that and have like mentors um, that can help you guide you, and have this mindset of like I'm gonna figure out, I'm gonna read about it, I'm gonna like do whatever it takes to to actually do that thing, um, uh, than to trying to outsource uh, early. It, it it will fail. Uh, it will fail dramatically if you do that. I totally agree. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So now you've, you've raised, you, you mentioned earlier, you've raised about 5 million Canadian dollars. Congrats. That's a huge achievement. So now you're looking Thank to, you. to grow the team. Are you, how are you thinking about kind of working with students? Because not too long ago, you were a student yourself, right? So how do you see students as yep. a resource to, that you can leverage to, to grow the business? Yeah, for sure. So from day one we worked with students. So we had an, a bunch of interns and I'm working a lot with the, the, my tax program. I don't know. We know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That we can. We do. We do. We actually, the, yeah. yeah. We have the, my tax program and it's, it's great because you, like I was hiring PhD student while I was still a PhD student <laughs> to, uh, to do some specific part of the things. And it's great because, um, for the P for a PhD student, getting more money is fantastic because you get so little and you can't get more technically because you have to work full time here. But because with the MyTax internship, it's like an literal internship. It's legit that you spend your time doing this sort of thing, but you're still getting paid almost way more than what you're getting paid. You think so? Um, there's always, there's always PG students working uh, with me. I much prefer having, um, because of our setup, I much prefer having like very expert students working on a specific problem than junior people trying to learn with the others. Um, that's kind of just a byproduct of having a fully remote company, because when you have, a, when you have a remote company versus an in-office company, um, the junior people struggle a bit more because they can't just like go and ask questions and just like get that immediate feedback. They have to kind of schedule a meeting, figure it out themselves and then get there. And there's only like a, a very specific kind of, um, uh, student, almost like entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mind that are able to do that well remotely. The others kind of struggle with this. So it's harder to hire junior and then provide them with something that is useful. So, uh, a prioritized expert student, PhD master level that work on like very specific problem 
And usually it's related to data. So we have like this R&D kind of a, a department that is working on these uh, more advanced stuff that we then incorporate into the product uh, and productize them. Um, yeah, that's kind of how uh, we work with, uh, with them. But like most of our product team is pretty senior folks. It makes sense. It makes sense. When you're a startup, you, you don't really have the luxury to get people on board that you can train yourself. Initially, you just need to surround yourself with experts, as you say, and really leverage that to grow the business, become more sustainable. And then as you need more and more people, then yeah, it, it makes sense to, to hire a bit down as well. What do you look for when you, when you recruit students? What's the, what's the process? What I, what I look for is just like, first I look at what I'm trying to get, uh, as an outcome for the kind of the company. Um, that's the very first thing I'm looking at and I'm looking like, is there a match with this guy or this, this woman for this specific thing? So I look at their history in terms of mostly research, but, uh, what, what they, they've been doing. If I see a good match, I just straight up message them and say like, uh, like you're the only one person I'm looking at because you have the expertise and I have a project that could pay you. And that is exactly this, but like with data that you will never have access uh, before. Um, are you down to do that? And usually it's, it, it worked well. Uh, and I work a lot with the, their PI directly. Um, and usually the PIs are, are fine with this, depending on the kind of PI, because it's experience for them in order to get a job afterward. Sorry. Some PI Sorry. prefer that they stay in academia, but uh, yeah. Sorry, what is PI? Just uh, in case for people who don't know. Hey. A, um, a principal investigator in a PhD, it's the person that will uh, supervise you. Um, it's kind of your, the, the professor that will supervise you. Yeah, that's what I do. Nice, nice. So you are using the, the project that you've seen they've done as an evidence for their skill. Um, do you ever have to, I don't know if it's different recruiting PhDs, uh, you haven't, I guess you haven't really had any issues finding people from a culture fit point of view. So you say, if you find someone that has the right project, do you ever come across, uh, someone that maybe you're like, okay, maybe they're not the right fit for, uh, Axia where we are now. So I would say, I would say the rest of the company, yes, like this happened just naturally. Um, but we're, we have our core values and stuff. So we, we know like on what to assess if they will be a good fit or not. Uh, but on the research side, it's like. They, maybe it's because I'm biased because I took my kind of profile and staple it into like the company. <laughs> Those are the core values. Like PhD student, I rarely had any issue with any of them because they fit this really well. And I know they fit kind of the entrepreneurial mindset because their problem that they're working on is almost more difficult than what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm asking them to do for our stuff. Um, so, uh, and I know that they're going to figure it out because if they're doing a PhD right now on this, like super esoteric, uh, problem set, pretty sure that they had a whole bunch of trying to figure it out what the hell they should be doing with this thing and that they're kind of the only one that can do it. So when I put it, put them here, um, usually go well, like they, they know how to, to interact with their peers. Um, it's much more stimulating because it goes much faster. So they, they, they are very engaged with the, with the stuff. Um, yeah, like, uh, I think I had zero culture fit problem with PG student, uh, at my company might be different for their other company, but I think because of the way I've set it up, uh, um, they kind of have a fast track into the, the company. It's interesting actually, because what we're building is essentially a way for companies 
to be able to identify people with the right skill set and literally what you just said, fast track them to having a conversation and establish a culture fit. And I just find it really interesting that you've essentially were able to do, was able to do that based on the project that the PhD students were doing. Uh, and I guess, yes, when, if you're doing a PhD, you already, you already probably have a certain personality type and, uh, yeah. that's, that's taking care of it for you. So it's quite interesting. Um, I guess what's the, what's the future in terms of, of the data team for Axia? Where do you see, are you, so right now you're leveraging interns using my tax. How do you picture the first data team being structured? Yeah, yeah, sure. So now we're at an interesting point because we're getting a heck load of data, which is nice. Like they, we're at the point where like the data play is starting to, to comes in and uh, we're doing some interesting thing right now where we, we're taking like the data that, uh, let's say that uh, our customers are, are putting into the pipes monthly and then we're giving them back into like a value added format. So instead of like having all of this data fragmented, like the thing I was talking to you when we, I was trying to sell you the software, here it is. And then they look at it and like, oh, I have my supplier scorecard. I know what is happening. I know where like I have some issues in my supply chain. Here's how it looked like. Um, so I can actually do something about it. So we're at the point where we can create value with the amount of data that we, we have and there's many projects we can do. How I'm seeing it grow right now is that um, I'm still hiring a PhD from time to time to, for a very specific pro project, but as soon as a customer validate one, um, uh, one specific value stream, which is starting to be the case, my thought process here is that I'm going to hire uh, someone that could do this uh, much better than me and give direction much better than me. So I'm going to get like a senior most likely data scientist uh, with a lot of background uh, um, exper uh, uh, expertise in kind of different companies to leverage this. Um, How does that line up with, with the business? Where do you see Axia going in the next, I suppose, couple of years? And how is the data team kind of supporting that, that growth? Interesting thing with their product is if you look at the, let's say the source to pay process that we're kind of digitalizing and, and uh, fixing for manufacturing sector, there's in a typical source to pay process, there's a part, there's two parts that is, that are a bit funny because they, they are, um, they're called sourcing analytics. So you take the data and then you do some analysis and then there, you, there's the data, master data management, which is you take the data and you shove it back into your system so that you have like one master data. What we've done is we've removed this step into the sequential process, um, which might look weird. Why are you removing like the, the step if they're so, so important? And what we've done is that we've like put them uh, around the process. Like this is happening, uh, on a real time basis now. So, um, you're sending an RFU to your suppliers and whatnot, sync back to your system straight up. Um, you want to know like some information about like how this thing is going or the history of the part it's done. It's, it's already structured, uh, in the process so that you can get that insight up front. You want to know how your real time KPIs are for your sourcing for the month of November and we're at the event, you can do it, right? You don't have to get an intern to look at this and then put you the data and give you the report in three days. So we've set up our product so that the data aspect is a completely integral part. So as we're going to grow, this will be the key differentiator of the company. We have 
high reliance on the, on the getting that data and giving it back to our, our users so that they can be even better in their, in their current process. So they go to a spot where have absolutely no visibility, high data fragmentation, and absolutely no way to coagulate this into like some sort of insight to a spot where they can do that uh, automatically. They don't even have to put an effort, they get it out of the box. Um, yeah, so an integral part, and as we get more customers, this will have to grow with, uh, with it. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. I, I like the way it feeds back into it. And I was gonna ask about the recession, but you've raised around. So I think at this point you're kind of, you're chilling. <laughs> Not necessarily too worried about it. Well, we've raised the reset, we have raised the, the round uh, earlier. Uh, Nine months ago? Uh, yeah. In the year. So uh, <laughs> the recession <laughs> is there, yeah. But like, it's not going too bad because our, um, we're kind of recession proof ish because a procurement department is like a cost center at companies, right? Like, that's kind of how it seems because there's so low visibility. It's just too difficult to generate enough valuable insight in order to get something that brings value and savings and stuff like that to the rest of the organization, right? But what we're doing is we make it go from a cost center to a value generated center. Uh, so it's a profit center now because you're able to get saving by tooling your folks to, to get the right suppliers. There's still supply chain disruption, whether there's a, a recession on, okay. or not. So if you can't get your part, you can't ship your planes, right? So you have to ensure that this is unlocked and you have, right now you have two ways. You can go into your email and get Excel spreadsheet and just pray that this <laughs> won't break. Or you can use Axia, which is proven to work, right? So you decide. And uh, the other part is that there's a heavy labor shortage right now, both in the manufacturer and at the procurement level. And the problem with the folks at the procurement level is that the most senior guys get poached left and right. So they are in a very, very high demand. And there's a few people that goes into that field and those that goes into that field are more junior and you don't want them to mess up. Mm -hmm. So you want this thing to be as easy as possible and to upskill them like quite fast. And with our thing, it's much easier because the process is simpler. There's a lot of stuff that are automated, the follow-ups and things like that. And they kind of have like cheat code because they have like the part, the, the history of the part, they already know like which supplier said what, if they work in different team, they, they get the knowledge of the others quite easily. It would be the difference between like having a junior guy, uh, work, let's say with like a, a fat, fat Python manual with no internet connection or a junior guy like having access to stack overflow. Right? <laughs> I think the, the other one will be a bit, uh, a bit more productive and faster. Thank you very much. Uh, just any closing, is there anything you'd like to plug about Axia or I think your blog is, is a really good source of info if you want to share that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you can check out the, my blog or just reach out to me, honestly. I'm very uh, 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 helpful. So if you if you need something and you're, you're, you've listened to what I was saying, uh, whether you're a PhD student or an entrepreneur or like someone working in procurement or data science and you want some tips and, and, uh, and uh, guidance, um, I like to help people. So uh, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, I'll, uh, we'll chat. Excellent. Well, Yasin, thanks very much for your time. Take care. Speak soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one.